the scripture in this morning comes from the book of Jonah, uh, chapter 2. And it says, From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very hearts of the seas, and the currents swirled around me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will again look on your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Uh, we just finished a 10-week series on the teachings of Jesus. And in three weeks, it'll be time for Advent. So I thought it would be, might be a good time to do a short series on worship. During this mini-series, we're going to look at a couple of examples from the Old Testament of times where people did really bad worship. Their worship was so bad that it made things worse or even was actively sinful. A lot of times, we think we're safe if we show up to worship, no matter what happens. And certainly, we do want to worship God. There's no need to be paralyzed with fear. God can forgive us even if we don't worship perfectly because no one does. But there's good reason to come to worship and really think about what we're doing and why we're doing it. Because one, thing, one of the things that's dangerous about worship is that it can confirm you in your delusions. You can convince yourself in worship that God is on your side and everything you're doing is approved by him when really God is calling you to reverse your course. And that seems like it's the case for Jonah in this chapter. So since we're jumping into the second chapter of Jonah with no context, it might be good to recap what the book is all about. In chapter 1, God speaks to Jonah and says, Get up, go to Nineveh, and preach to them. It's at this point that we're introduced to the character of Jonah and learn that he's a completely absurd person. He's full of contradictions and irony, and I really do think that we as readers are meant to laugh at him. Now, the first stat that Jonah does is completely consistent with who he is the rest of the book. God says, get up and go east to Nineveh, and Jonah gets up to flee from God as far west as he possibly can go. To do that, he gets in a boat, and he sets sail to this place called Tarshish, which for them was about as far west as the known world actually went. He couldn't disobey any harder if he had tried. When he's in the boat, the sea around him gets really violent, and the ship almost sinks apparently because God didn't want him to disobey, which is a shocker. All the people on the boat are calling out to their gods, and they wake Jonah up because somehow he was sleeping through all of this because he's absurd. So they ask him what god he serves so that he can hopefully do something to appease the storm. Everyone is doing all they can to save the boat, but Jonah does nothing. So of course Jonah puffs up his chest and says, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. He's saying, I'm a Hebrew, unlike you filthy Gentiles, and I worship this huge great God and not your puny ones. In other words, he says that he serves the most powerful God in the whole universe who made everything. 
and he's running away from that, him and angering him. The sailors freak out because no wonder the storm is here if Jonah angered a huge god like that. How could anyone rationally disobey the god of heaven and earth? How do you run away from that god? He's everywhere. Of course, Jonah knows why the storm is happening, so he tells them to throw him overboard. Now, in case you might want to give him credit for that, remember that he totally could have repented and agreed to go back to Nineveh, and the storm would have calmed down. Instead, he basically decides to drown in the middle of the ocean because there's no way that he'd be willing to repent. The sailors hesitate for a bit because they're nice guys, and they don't want to throw him into the sea, right? Plus, maybe God will get angry at them, at them if they throw him in. But eventually, Jonah convinces them that it's the only way. When he falls in, a big fish swallows him whole, the whole sea calms down, and all the people in the boat worship God. So we see that Jonah is a completely ridiculous person. At this point in the book, we have no idea what his deal is, and nothing he does makes any sense. He's supposed to be a prophet, but the very first thing he does is run away so that he doesn't have to obey God, as if by doing that, he can actually get away from him. And then, even after he gets in the boat, he's completely unpredictable. Even the sailors that are with him just can't understand him. Everything he does is stupid, and I really do think that we're supposed to laugh at him. So then Jonah is sitting in the belly of the big fish, and he starts to pray. Now, I think it would be useful for us, if we want to understand this prayer, to remember for a second that Jonah is completely ridiculous. It's always possible that he's coming to his senses here and repenting, but I don't think he's earned that benefit of the doubt at this point in the story. He also really doesn't stop being ridiculous after this chapter either. If we want to understand this prayer, we also might want to imagine what we would pray if we just sank to the bottom of the sea and got swallowed by a big fish and were sitting in the middle of some stomach acids in the dark. And then we can compare our reaction to Jonah's reaction. I mean, if there's ever a time for some life-changing reflection, it might be when you have three whole days alone with your thoughts sitting in the belly of a fish. You could say that you've literally hit rock bottom. So you'd say something like, God, looking back, I know that I messed up a whole lot. I probably should have obeyed you. Going forward, I'm going to obey you and do what you want me to do. Please forgive me for everything that I've done. If by some miracle you can get, out, get me out of this stinking fish alive, uh, I would be so grateful. I'll do exactly what you tell me to do. I would make so many sacrifices and do so many good deeds. That's the kind of thing a rational person says when they find themselves in the belly of a big fish. So let's compare that with what Jonah says. He says, I called out to the Lord, and he answered me. Out of the belly of the netherworld I cried, and you heard my voice. That's an interesting thing to say when you're in the belly of a fish, right? It sounds like Jonah thinks he's already been saved, like he isn't really in danger. But like, look where he is. I don't think he's really out of the woods yet, right? I feel like he kind of still needs God to save him. So he keeps going and he says, For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and all your billows pressed, passed over me. Notice again who he says is acting here. He's saying that God is the one who's cast him into the sea. Ahem, Jonah, I'm pretty sure that you're the one that told the sailors to throw you into the sea. Like that's actually what happened. Maybe in Jonah's eyes, he was forced by God to get thrown in because of the storm. But like, he could have repented, and the storm would have calmed down, right? 
Anyway, it seems like Jonah is blaming God in really flowery language for what's happening here, even though everything is entirely his own fault. That doesn't sound like what we imagined we would say in a situation like this. Okay, then listen to the next thing he says. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. Poor, poor Jonah just wanted to be with God the whole time. Forget that he was halfway across the known world because he was running away from him. God drove him away and threw him into the ocean. And as he was drowning in the ocean, all poor Jonah could think about was that he wouldn't be able to see the temple again. But because Jonah is a perfect, faithful person, he really did believe that God would save them. Wow, isn't Jonah great? Again, Jonah is completely unmoored from reality. Jonah drove himself away. Jonah was in the ocean because he was being stupid. He had every opportunity to keep that from happening. But in his mind, he thinks that he's been a wonderful, perfect follower of God, and that God was being mean to him for no reason. He continues talking about how God was being mean to him and almost killed him, and then he says that his prayer finally made it to God's temple, and at the last minute, that God saved him. Again, you might ask, how did God save him? Has he been saved yet? Apparently, for Jonah, the answer was yes, God saved him. God sent the big fish to keep him from drowning, so that that means that God saved him. Jonah thinks that he was right all along, and when he was about to drown, God came to his side, realized that he was just being mean to Jonah for no reason, and saved him by sending the big fish. Good old Jonah finally managed to convince God that he was just being silly. Now everything's good because God changed his mind. And then finally, Jonah says the stupidest thing of all. He says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake God's steadfast love. Who is he talking about when he is talking about those who pay regard to vain idols? He's talking about the sailors in the boat who are worshiping every god they could think of to keep the boat from sinking. Those really nice guys that didn't want to throw them overboard even when their own lives were in danger. The ones that ended up actually worshiping the true god the moment the sea calmed down. Jonah is sitting in the bottom of the sea and taking pot shots at the guys who were so nice to him in the boat. Jonah had three days to come up with a really good prayer to God, and this is what he came up with. Now, you or I might be in the fish and say something like, this place is disgusting, where have I gone wrong? Maybe I should do what God says, or something like, this is going to happen again. Please, God, save me, etc., etc., etc. But not Jonah. Jonah basically says, God see is what did this to me, so that's all his fault. But he saved me by sending this fish, so he must have come around to my point of view, I'm glad I serve a God who's powerful enough to do this, unlike those filthy Gentiles on the ship that I endangered. Anyway, thanks God for doing the right thing in the end. It's insufferable. And it's so insufferable that God has the fish vomit Jonah up onto the land as if the fish was just disgusted by him. And from what we know about Jonah, he probably thought that God was saving him again because God was on his side. Jonah's prayer here is what really bad worship looks like. So there's a couple of things that I think that we can learn from Jonah's completely insufferable prayer. First of all, I think that we can know that we can use really flowery, good language in worship and make everything beautiful, and the worship ends up being worse than useless. Jonah's prayer sounded so good that it's easy to be tricked into thinking that he's come around to God's point of view. But we know that later, Jonah has the same issues that he has before. He still really wants God to kill the Ninevites, 
he still is completely disobedient, dramatic, and ridiculous. He says, what I have vowed, I, have pay I will pay. But what does that even mean? What did he vow? Once we get to the next chapter, it's not like Jonah immediately gets up and goes to Nineveh. He still needs God to call him to do it again. And you can practically hear him sighing like a teenager and saying, fine. He doesn't give his whole effort to preaching to the Ninevites. Normally, prophets have this big, long, beautiful oratory about what God is going to do. Look at all the other books of the Bible with prophets. Not Jonah. He preaches the shortest sermon of all time. It's five Hebrew words that loosely translates to 40 days and Nineveh's toast. He did the absolute bare minimum. Flowery language and beautiful images are great. In fact, I think we need them. We want to give God our best. But if our idea of God and the way that we're, we think we're supposed to serve him is completely delusional, it's worthless. In fact, it's worse than worthless. Because beauty can manage to convince us that we are worshiping the one true God when in fact we are worshiping some cheap, warped idol. What we really want is for Jonah to turn it all around and become the prophet that he was supposed to be. But this really isn't the prayer of repentance that we want from Jonah. Behind all that flowery language, what he's really doing is blaming God and the sailors for everything bad that happened to him. In fact, the gist of the prayer is that Jonah is glad that God is the one who changed to meet Jonah. Jonah sees the world in a profoundly stupid and insane way. He's on a collision course with reality, and his worship is only making him more delusional. And by the end, he's going on a hunger strike to try and make sure that God destroys an entire huge city. The same thing goes for us. If our worship is going to be genuine, we have to really be reverent. We have to come to worship actually expecting God to be there waiting for us. And we have to be willing to be transformed by God when we meet him in worship. Jonah was completely unwilling to be transformed by worship. But instead, he wanted to transform God by manipulating him into doing what Jonah wanted him to do. Ironically, Jonah was the one who was treating the one true God like the puny little gods that the sailors in the boat were in the habit of worshiping. He was treating God like he's someone who can be tricked and prodded and manipulated, just like all the other gods. In fact, it's the sailors in the boat that, are, that really understood what it meant to worship a huge god like the one that Jonah claims to be worshiping. But it's instructive for us to think in really similar terms to what Jonah was thinking. It's instinctive for us to, to think like that. We like to think that if we go to worship every Sunday and do all the right things, then God will do the things we want him to do. Imagine how small-minded that is. We're sitting in front of the God of the universe, and we're trying to use him for some tiny little end in our own lives. Think about how small-minded that is. Treating God like this says that the biggest and most wonderful thing in the world are my own little desires. He's what's going to get me a really nice job, or a nice house, or get my political opinions validated. No doubt God cares about those things. But don't you wish that there was something bigger, or more important, or more beautiful than that? Don't you wish that there was something so amazing and perfect that you couldn't comprehend it? Don't you wish that there was something that was so great that by seeing it, you can't help but be changed? That's who the God revealed in Jesus Christ is. When you come to worship, you're meeting him here, and you can't help but be changed. Jonah's worship, and sometimes our worship, 
makes us think that we can transform God by doing it. And what kind of small-minded worship and sad worship is that? You'll enjoy worship so much more when you're the one being transformed. It won't do to have a, a beautiful building and to sing cool hymns and to say the right word if ultimately the whole thing is misguided and wrong. God isn't tricked by those things even if we are. Remember what Jesus said right before he gave the Lord's Prayer. He said, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard by their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Saying pretty words doesn't mean that you're worshiping. So of course the question becomes, how do we know that worship is genuine? And normally in Protestant circles, and especially pietistic ones, we tend to give an answer like, if you have the right kind of emotional experience, or if you're really paying attention to the words, or if you have the right kind of motivations. And in a sense, all of those things are true. But I so rarely know if I have the right kind of motivations. And it's really hard to produce the right kind of emotions. And honestly, it can be hard to pay attention to all the words all the time. In this sense, Protestants have created their own kind of works righteousness. And really, I could imagine that Jonah himself might have genuinely meant every word he said. He might have genuinely meant that he was glad that he was going to be able to see the temple again. He might have genuinely meant that he was, that he was relieved that finally God got his stuff together and saved him at the last second. He might have genuinely been happy that he worshipped his God instead of the God of those sailors that had been so nice to him. The problem was that he was just completely ridiculous and delusional. Sincerity won't do either. In fact, that's one of the main dangers of worship. It's really easy to convince yourself on worship that God is on your side and that you're doing the right thing. Worship has a powerful ability to confirm your delusions. And the more sincere you are, the more dangerous it becomes. When you worship, you're placing yourself in the position of someone that God approves of. But sometimes that lets you get convinced that everything that you're doing is right. Then you end up not worshiping the real God, but the God that you made up in your head that approves of whatever you're doing. So if even Jonah had the right words or motivations or emotions, how should he have known that his worship was terrible? I think the main problem with his worship was that he was actively disobeying the God that he was worshiping. He wasn't doing the work that God was telling him to do. And that led him to be totally disconnected with God to the point of being delusional. Honestly, it would have been very hard for Jonah, sitting in the fish at the bottom of the sea, to have worshipped in any other way than repenting and promising to go back to Nineveh and do what he was supposed to do. Everything else until he said that was going to sound ridiculous. But doing the work that God wants you to do, even when it doesn't feel good, is the best way to align yourself with God's will. We tend to think that the way that people work is that they figure out what they're supposed to do and then they act on it. But a lot of times things go the other way around. Sometimes your actions actually shape the way that you think. You do something good and then you see yourself doing something good and then your brain thinks, huh, maybe I'm becoming the kind of person who does good stuff and that only shapes you more. On the other hand, everything that Jonah was doing was totally disconnected from reality. It was shaping him and infecting his worship and then his worship only made things worse. Jonah was a lot like one of those characters in Jesus' parables, which says, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and another a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, 
God, I thank you that I'm not like the other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector here. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to this house justified, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The Pharisee is just like Jonah. He's worshiping a God that approves what he's doing, but that God is completely disconnected from the real one. Jonah's worship was about exalting himself and how he was right all along, and, he's, and he is eventually humbled. And it's even easier to do, for him to, do, to exalt himself in worship because he's blinded by hatred for the Gentiles in the boat and in Nineveh. Just like the Pharisee is blinded by hatred for the tax collector sitting next to him. Having enemies is intoxicating, especially in worship. It lets you think, at least I'm not like them. And then you worship God in a way that is only really meant to justify your own anger. The same thing happened with Jonah because he hated the guys in the boat. He was able to say, well, surely God is on my side between me and these filthy Gentile sailors. I'm sure you can see that in your own life. It might be in some petty personal grudges or in some other things. Midterm elections are this week. Be careful with yourself. Make sure you're not creating the kind of God in your mind that lets you hate the other side if you're, if you're the one that needs to repent. If, it's, if that God keeps you from having to look at yourself so that you don't have to find out if you're the one that needs to repent. Anger is dangerous, because it, there's some part of it of us that really likes it. It kind of feels good sometimes to be angry and feel completely justified in it. But in the long term, anger destroys you, because you get addicted to it. And eventually, the only way that you see the world is as a source of things to get angry at. You look at everything and think, how do I get angry at this so that I can feel good about myself? And then you start blacking out anything that's true, good, or beautiful, because those things keep you from getting angry the way you really want to. Just like all sin, it makes you delusional and it destroys you. And worshiping without repentance can only make it worse. So when you come to worship, look at yourself and examine your actions. Or you might have really bad worship like Jonah. And it'll be a lot easier to worship well if you're doing what God wants you to do. I've painted kind of a bleak picture of worship here. And it's easy to be afraid and think, how am I supposed to worship then? And I think the only answer can be as best as we can. When we go to worship, we have to look at ourselves carefully so we don't end up looking like Jonah in this chapter. It's true, worship is dangerous. But it's also our only hope. We need to be transformed by God or we will slowly destroy ourselves. That is guaranteed. Look at the state of the world, and you can tell that we are completely incapable of governing ourselves. And worship is the place where we go to especially meet God, whether at church or during quiet time at home. And when we meet God, he brushes off on us and changes us, just like when we meet our friends. We can't worship perfectly, but the Spirit of God takes our meager, delusional best efforts and purifies it and makes it into something beautiful and holy and acceptable to God. There's lots of dangers to be aware of, but worship is the only hope for the world. Humans were made to live in God's presence and to worship him.
And if we don't do that, we simply won't be able to function. We're not naturally good at it anymore because we lost practice. If God didn't save us, our worship would look like Jonah's every single time and would only make things worse. But thanks be to God, he saves our worship too. He purifies our hearts so that we can have worship that calls us to something so much bigger than ourselves. And that way we can really be transformed. And our worship gets better and better as we draw closer and closer to God's will. Let's pray. Most holy God, we confess that we are incapable of worshiping you the way that you deserve. Purify our hearts and our minds so we can be transformed by coming closer to you. Then we will be happy and content because you are with us. Amen.